Section 9 of Natural Theology by William Paley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 of the Muscles. Muscles, with their tendons, are the instruments by which animal motion is performed. It will be our business to point out instances in which, and properties with respect to which, the disposition of these muscles is as strictly mechanical as that of the wires and strings of a puppet. 1. We may observe, what I believe is universal, an exact relation between the joint and the muscles which move it. Whatever motion the joint, by its mechanical construction, is capable of performing, that motion the annexed muscles, by their position, are capable of producing. For example, if there be, as at the knee and elbow, a hinge joint, capable of motion only in the same plane, the leaders, as they are called, i.e. the muscular tendons, are placed in directions parallel to the bone, so as, by the contraction or relaxation of the muscles to which they belong, to produce that motion and no other. If these joints were capable of a freer motion, there are no muscles to produce it, whereas at the shoulder and the hip, where the ball and socket joint allows by its construction of a rotatory or sweeping motion, tendons are placed in such a position, and pull in such a direction, as to produce the motion of which the joint admits. For instance, the sartorius, or tailor's muscle, rising from the spine, running diagonally across the thigh, and taking hold of the inside of the main bone of the leg a little below the knee, enables us, by its contraction, to throw one leg and thigh over the other, giving effect at the same time to the ball and socket joint at the hip and the hinge joint at the knee. There is, as we have seen, a specific mechanism in the bones for the rotatory motions of the head and hands. There is also, in the oblique direction of the muscles belonging to them, a specific provision for the putting of this mechanism of the bones into action. And mark the consent of uses. The oblique muscles would have been inefficient without the articulation. The articulation would have been lost without the oblique muscles. It may be proper, however, to observe with respect to the head, although I think it does not vary the case, that its oblique motions and inclinations are often motions in a diagonal produced by the joint action of muscles lying in straight directions. But whether the pull be single or combined, the articulation is always such as to be capable of obeying the action of the muscles. The oblique muscles attached to the head are likewise so disposed as to be capable of steadying the globe as well as of moving it. The head of a newborn infant is often obliged to be filleted up, after death the head drops and rolls in every direction, so that it is by the equilibre of the muscles, by the aid of a considerable and equipolent muscular force in constant exertion, that the head maintains its erect posture. The muscles here supply what would otherwise be a great defect in the articulation, for the joint in the neck, although admirably adapted to the motion of the head, is insufficient for its support. It is not only by the means of a most curious structure of the bones that a man turns his head, but by virtue of an adjusted muscular power that he even holds it up. As another example of what we are illustrating, viz. conformity of use between the bones and the muscles, it has been observed of the different vertebrae that their processes are exactly proportioned to the quantity of motion which the other bones allow of, and which the respective muscles are capable of producing. 2. A muscle acts only by contraction. Its force is exerted in no other way. When the exertion ceases, it relaxes itself, that is, it returns by relaxation to its former state, but without energy. 
this is the nature of the muscular fiber and being so it is evident that the reciprocal energetic motion of the limbs by which we mean motion with force in opposite directions can only be produced by the instrumentality of opposite or antagonist muscles of flexors and extensors answering to each other for instance the biceps and brachius internus muscles placed in the front part of the upper arm by their contraction bend the elbow and with such degree of force as the case requires or the strength admits of the relaxation of these muscles after the effort would merely let the forearm drop down for the back stroke therefore and that the arm may not only bend at the elbow but also extend and straighten itself with force other muscles the longus and brevis brachius externus and the anconius placed on the hinder part of the arm by their contractile twitch fetch back the forearm into a straight line with the cubit with no less force than that with which it was bent out of it the same thing obtains in all the limbs and in every movable part of the body a finger is not bent and straightened without the contraction of two muscles taking place it is evident therefore that the animal functions require that particular disposition of the muscles which we describe by the name of antagonist muscles and they are accordingly so disposed every muscle is provided with an adversary they act like two sawyers in a pit by an opposite pull and nothing surely can more strongly indicate design and attention to an end than their being thus stationed than this collocation the nature of the muscular fiber being what it is the purposes of the animal could be answered by no other and not only the capacity for motion but the aspect and symmetry of the body is preserved by the muscles being marshalled according to this order e g the mouth is held in the middle of the face and its angles kept in a state of exact correspondency by two muscles drawing against and balancing each other in a hemiplegia when the muscle on one side is weakened the muscle on the other side draws the mouth awry. 3. Another property of the muscles, which could only be the result of care, is their being almost universally so disposed as not to obstruct or interfere with one another's action. I know but one instance in which this impediment is perceived. We cannot easily swallow while we gape. This, I understand, is owing to the muscles employed in the act of deglutition being so implicated with the muscles of the lower jaw that, whilst these last are contracted, the former cannot act with freedom. The obstruction is, in this instance, attended with little inconveniency, but it shows what the effect is where it does exist, and what loss of faculty there would be if it were more frequent. Now, when we reflect upon the number of muscles, not fewer than 446 in the human body, known and named, how contiguous they lie to each other in layers, as it were, over one another, crossing one another, sometimes embedded in one another, sometimes perforating one another, an arrangement which leaves to each its liberty and its full play, must necessarily require meditation and counsel. 4. The following is oftentimes the case with the muscles. Their action is wanted where their situation would be inconvenient, in which case the body of the muscle is placed in some commodious position at a distance and made to communicate with a point of action by slender strings or wires if the muscles which move the fingers had been placed in the palm or back of the hand they would have swelled that part to an awkward and clumsy thickness the beauty the proportions of the part would have been destroyed they are therefore disposed in the arm and even up to the elbow and act by long tendons strapped down at the wrist and passing under the ligament to the fingers and to the joints of the fingers which they are severally to move 
in like manner the muscles which move the toes and many of the joints of the foot how gracefully are they disposed in the calf of the leg instead of forming an unwieldy tumefaction in the foot itself the observation may be repeated of the muscle which draws the nictitating membrane over the eye its office is in the front of the eye but its body is lodged in the back part of the globe where it lies safe and where it encumbers nothing five the great mechanical variety in the figure of the muscles may be thus stated it appears to be a fixed law that the contraction of a muscle shall be towards its center therefore the subject for mechanism on each occasion is so to modify the figure and adjust the position of the muscle as to produce the motion required agreeably with this law this can only be done by giving to different muscles a diversity of configuration suited to their several offices and to their situation with respect to the work which they have to perform on which account we find them under a multiplicity of forms and attitudes sometimes with double sometimes with treble tendons sometimes with none sometimes one tendon to several muscles at other times one muscle to several tendons the shape of the organ is susceptible of an incalculable variety whilst the original property of the muscle the law and line of its contraction remains the same and is simple herein the muscular system may be said to bear a perfect resemblance to our works of art an artist does not alter the native quality of his materials or their laws of action he takes these as he finds them his skill and ingenuity are employed in turning them such as they are to his account by giving to the parts of his machine a form and relation in which these unalterable properties may operate to the production of the effects intended six the ejaculations can never too often be repeated how many things must go right for us to be an hour at ease how many more to be vigorous and active yet vigor and activity are in a vast plurality of instances preserved in human bodies notwithstanding that they depend upon so great a number of instruments of motion and notwithstanding that the defect or disorder sometimes of a very small instrument of a single pair for instance out of the four hundred and forty six muscles which are employed may be attended with grievous inconveniency there is piety and good sense in the following observation taken out of the religious philosopher with much compassion says this writer quote, as well as astonishment at the goodness of our loving creator have i considered the sad state of a certain gentleman who as to the rest was in pretty good health but only wanted the use of these two little muscles that served to lift up the eyelids and so had almost lost the use of his sight being forced as long as this defect lasted to shove up his eyelids every moment with his own hands Close quote. in general we may remark how little those who enjoy the perfect use of their organs know the comprehensiveness of the blessing the variety of their obligation they perceive a result but they think little of the multitude of concurrences and rectitudes which go to form it beside these observations which belong to the muscular organ as such we may notice some advantages of structure which are more conspicuous in muscles of a certain class or description than in others thus one the variety quickness and precision of which muscular motion is capable are seen i think in no part so remarkably as in the tongue it is worth any man's while to watch the agility of his tongue the wonderful promptitude with which it executes changes of position and the perfect exactness each syllable of articulated sound requires for its utterance a specific action of the tongue and of the parts adjacent to it the disposition and configuration of the mouth appertaining to every letter and word 
is not only peculiar, but, if nicely and accurately attended to, perceptible to the sight, insomuch that curious persons have availed themselves of this circumstance to teach the deaf to speak and to understand what is said by others. In the same person, and after his habit of speaking is formed, one and only one position of the parts will produce a given articulate sound correctly. How instantaneously are these positions assumed and dismissed! How numerous are the permutations, how various, yet how infallible! Arbitrary and antic variety is not the thing we admire, but variety obeying a rule, conducing to an effect, and commensurate with exigencies infinitely diversified. I believe also that the anatomy of the tongue corresponds with these observations upon its activity. The muscles of the tongue are so numerous, and so implicated with one another, that they cannot be traced by the nicest dissection. Nevertheless, which is a great perfection of the organ, neither the number, nor the complexity, nor what might seem to be the entanglement of its fibers, in any way impede its motion, or render the determination or success of its efforts uncertain. I here entreat the reader's permission to step a little out of my way, to consider the parts of the mouth in some of their other properties. It has been said, and that by an eminent physiologist, that, whenever nature attempts to work two or more purposes by one instrument, she does both or all imperfectly. Is this true of the tongue regarded as an instrument of speech and of taste, or regarded as an instrument of speech, of taste, and of deglutition? So much otherwise that many persons, that is to say, 999 persons out of a thousand, by the instrumentality of this one organ, talk and taste and swallow very well. In fact, the constant warmth and moisture of the tongue, the thinness of the skin, the papillae upon its surface, qualify this organ for its office of tasting as much as its inextricable multiplicity of fibers do for the rapid movements which are necessary to speech. Animals which feed upon grass have their tongues covered with a perforated skin, so as to admit the dissolved food to the papillae underneath, which, in the meantime, remain defended from the rough action of the unbruised spiculae. There are brought together within the cavity of the mouth more distinct uses and parts executing more distinct offices than I think can be found lying so near to one another, or within the same compass, in any other portion of the body, viz. teeth of different shape, first for cutting, secondly for grinding, muscles most artificially disposed for carrying on the compound motion of the lower jaw, half lateral and half vertical, by which the mill is worked, fountains of saliva springing up in different parts of the cavity for the moistening of the food, whilst the mastication is going on, glands to feed the fountains, a muscular constriction of a very peculiar kind in the back part of the cavity, for the guiding of the prepared aliment into its passage towards the stomach, and in many cases for carrying it along that passage, for although we may imagine this to be done simply by the food itself, it in truth is not so, even in the upright posture of the human neck, and most evidently is not the case with quadrupeds, with a horse, for instance, in which, when pasturing, the food is thrust upward by muscular strength, instead of descending of its own accord. In the meantime, and within the same cavity, is going on other business, although different from what is here described, that of respiration and speech. In addition, therefore, to all that has been mentioned, we have a passage opened from this cavity to the lungs, for the admission of air, exclusively of every other substance. We have muscles, some in the larynx, and without number in the tongue, for the purpose of modulating that air in its passage, with a variety, a compass, a precision, of which no other musical instrument is capable. 
and lastly which in my opinion crowns the whole as a piece of machinery we have a specific contrivance for dividing the pneumatic part from the mechanical and for preventing one set of actions interfering with the other where various functions are united the difficulty is to guard against the inconveniences of a too great complexity in no apparatus put together by art and for the purposes of art do i know such multifarious uses so aptly combined as in the natural organization of the human mouth or where the structure compared with the uses is so simple the mouth with all these intentions to serve is a single cavity is one machine with its parts neither crowded nor confused and each unembarrassed by the rest each at least at liberty in a degree sufficient for the end to be attained if we cannot eat and sing at the same moment we can eat one moment and sing the next the respiration proceeding freely all the while there is one case however of this double office and that of the earliest necessity which the mouth alone could not perform and that is carrying on together the two actions of sucking and breathing another route therefore is open for the air namely through the nose which lets the breath pass backward and forward whilst the lips in the act of sucking are necessarily shut close upon the body from which the nutriment is drawn this is a circumstance which always appeared to me worthy of notice the nose would have been necessary although it had not been the organ of smelling the making it the seat of a sense was superadding a new use to a part already wanted was taking a wise advantage of an antecedent and a constitutional necessity but to return to that which is the proper subject of the present section the celerity and precision of muscular motion these qualities may be particularly observed in the execution of many species of instrumental music in which the changes produced by the hand of the musician are exceedingly rapid are exactly measured even when most minute and display on the part of the muscles an obedience of action alike wonderful for its quickness and its correctness or let a person only observe his own hand whilst he is writing the number of muscles which are brought to bear upon the pen how the joint and adjusted operation of several tendons is concerned in every stroke yet that five hundred such strokes are drawn in a minute not a letter can be turned without more than one or two or three tendinous contractions definite both as to the choice of the tendon and as to the space through which the contraction moves yet how currently does the work proceed and when we look at it how faithful have the muscles been to their duty how true to the order which endeavor or habit hath inculcated for let it be remembered that whilst a man's handwriting is the same an exactitude of order is preserved whether he write well or ill these two instances of music and writing show not only the quickness and precision of muscular action but the docility two regarding the particular configuration of muscles sphincter or circular muscles appear to me admirable pieces of mechanism it is the muscular power most happily applied the same quality of the muscular substance but under a new modification the circular disposition of the fibers is strictly mechanical but though the most mechanical is not the only thing in sphincters which deserves our notice the regulated degree of contractile force with which they are endowed sufficient for retention yet vincible when requisite together with their ordinary state of actual contraction by means of which their dependence upon the will is not constant but occasional gives to them a constitution of which the conveniency is inestimable this their semi-voluntary character is exactly such as suits with the wants and functions of the animal three 
we may also upon the subject of muscles observe that many of our most important actions are achieved by the combined help of different muscles frequently a diagonal motion is produced by the contraction of tendons pulling in the direction of the sides of the parallelogram this is the case as hath been already noticed with some of the oblique nutations of the head sometimes the number of cooperating muscles is very great dr Neuentite, in the leipzig transactions reckons up a hundred muscles that are employed every time we breathe yet we take in or let out our breath without reflecting what a work is thereby performed what an apparatus is laid in of instruments for the service and how many such contribute their assistance to the effect breathing with ease is a blessing of every moment yet of all others it is that which we possess with the least consciousness a man in an asthma is the only man who knows how to estimate it four mr home has observed that the most important and the most delicate actions are performed in the body by the smallest muscles and he mentions as his examples the muscles which have been discovered in the iris of the eye and the drum of the ear the tenuity of these muscles is astonishing they are microscopic hairs must be magnified to be visible yet are they real effective muscles and not only such but the grandest and most precious of our faculties sight and hearing depend upon their health and action five the muscles act in the limbs with what is called a mechanical disadvantage the muscle at the shoulder by which the arm is raised is fixed nearly in the same manner as the load is fixed upon the steel-yard within a few decimals we will say of an inch from the centre upon which the steel-yard turns in this situation we find that a very heavy draught is no more than sufficient to countervail the force of a small lead plummet placed upon the long arm of the steel-yard at the distance of perhaps fifteen or twenty inches from the centre and on the other side of it and this is the disadvantage which is meant and an absolute disadvantage no doubt it would be if the object were to spare the force of muscular contraction but observe how conducive is this constitution to animal conveniency mechanism has always in view one or other of these two purposes either to move a great weight slowly and through a small space or to move a light weight rapidly through a considerable sweep for the former of these purposes a different species of lever and a different collocation of the muscles might be better than the present but for the second the present structure is the true one now so it happens that the second and not the first is that which the occasions of animal life principally call for in what concerns the human body it is of much more consequence to any man to be able to carry his hand to his head with due expedition than it would be to have the power of raising from the ground a heavier load of two or three more hundred weight we will suppose than he can lift at present this last is a faculty which upon some extraordinary occasions he may desire to possess but the other is what he wants and uses every hour and minute in like manner a husbandman or a gardener will do more execution by being able to carry his scythe his rake or his flail with a sufficient dispatch through a sufficient space than if with greater strength his motions were proportionably more confined and slow it is the same with a mechanic in the use of his tools it is the same also with other animals in the use of their limbs in general the vivacity of their motions would be ill exchanged for greater force under a clumsier structure we have offered our observation upon the structure of muscles in general we have also noticed certain species of muscles but there are also single muscles which bear marks of mechanical contrivance appropriate as well as particular 
Out of many instances of this kind, we select the following. 1. Of muscular actions, even of those which are well understood, some of the most curious are incapable of popular explanation, at least without the aid of plates and figures. This is, in a great measure, the case with a very familiar, but at the same time a very complicated motion, that of the lower jaw, and with the muscular structure by which it is produced. One of the muscles concerned may, however, be described in such a manner as to be, I think, sufficiently comprehended for our present purpose. The problem is to pull the lower jaw down. The obvious method should seem to be to place a straight muscle, viz. to fix a string from the chin to the breast, the contraction of which would open the mouth and produce the motion required at once. But it is evident that the form and liberty of the neck forbid a muscle being laid in such a position, and that, consistently with the preservation of this form, the motion which we want must be effectuated by some muscular mechanism disposed further back in the jaw. The mechanism adopted is as follows. A certain muscle, called digastric, rises on the side of the face, considerably above the insertion of the lower jaw, and comes down, being converted in its progress into a round tendon. Now it is evident that the tendon, whilst it pursues a direction descending towards the jaw, must, by its contraction, pull the jaw up instead of down. What then was to be done? This, we find, is done. The descending tendon, when it is got low enough, is passed through a loop or ring or pulley in the os hyoides, and then made to ascend, and, having thus changed its line of direction, is inserted into the inner part of the chin, by which device, viz., the turn at the loop, the action of the muscle, which in all muscles is contraction, that before would have pulled the jaw up, now as necessarily draws it down. The mouth, saith Heister, quote, is opened by means of this trochlea in a most wonderful and elegant manner. Close quote. 2. What contrivance can be more mechanical than the following, viz., a slit in one tendon to let another tendon pass through it? This structure is found in the tendons which move the toes and fingers. The long tendon, as it is called, in the foot, which bends the first joint of the toe, passes through the short tendon which bends the second joint, which course allows to the sinew more liberty and a more commodious action than it would otherwise have been capable of exerting. There is nothing, I believe, in a silk or cotton mill, in the belts or straps or ropes by which motion is communicated from one part of the machine to another, that is more artificial or more evidently so than this perforation. 3. The next circumstance which I shall mention, under this head of muscular arrangement, is so decisive a mark of intention that it always appeared to me to supersede, in some measure, the necessity of seeking for any other observation upon the subject. And that circumstance is, the tendons which pass from the leg to the foot, being bound down by a ligament at the ankle. The foot is placed at a considerable angle with the leg. It is manifest, therefore, that flexible strings, passing along the interior of the angle, if left to themselves, would, when stretched, start from it. The obvious preventive is to tie them down. And this is done in fact. Across the instep, or rather just above it, the anatomist finds a strong ligament under which the tendons pass to the foot. The effect of the ligament, as a bandage, can be made evident to the senses, for, if it be cut, the tendons start up. The simplicity, yet the clearness of this contrivance, its exact resemblance to established resources of art, place it amongst the most indubitable manifestations of design with which we are acquainted. 
There is also a further use to be made of the present example, and that is, as it precisely contradicts the opinion, that the parts of animals may have been all formed by what is called appetency, i.e., endeavor, perpetuated and imperceptibly working its effect through an incalculable series of generations. We have here no endeavor but the reverse of it, a constant renitency and reluctance. The endeavor is all the other way. The pressure of the ligament constrains the tendons. The tendons react upon the pressure of the ligament. It is impossible that the ligament should ever have been generated by the exercise of the tendon, or in the course of that exercise, forasmuch as the force of the tendon perpendicularly resists the fiber which confines it, and is constantly endeavoring not to form, but to rupture and displace the threads of which the ligament is composed. Kyle has reckoned up in the human body 446 muscles, dissectable and describable, and hath assigned an use to every one of the number. This cannot be all imagination. Bishop Wilkins hath observed from Galen that there are, at least, ten several qualifications to be attended to in each particular muscle, viz., its proper figure, its just magnitude, its fulcrum, its point of action, supposing the figure to be fixed, its collocation with respect to its two ends, the upper and the lower, the place, the position of the whole muscle, the introduction into it of nerves, arteries, veins. How are things, including so many adjustments, to be made, or, when made, how are they to be put together, without intelligence? I have sometimes wondered why we are not struck with mechanism in animal bodies as readily and as strongly as we are struck with it at first sight in a watch or a mill. One reason of the difference may be that animal bodies are, in a great measure, made up of soft, flabby substances, such as muscles and membranes, whereas we have been accustomed to trace mechanism in sharp lines, in the configuration of hard materials, in the molding, chiseling, and filing into shapes of such articles as metals or wood. There is something, therefore, of habit in the case, but it is sufficiently evident that there can be no proper reason for any distinction of the sort. Mechanism may be displayed in the one kind of substance as well as in the other. Although the few instances we have selected, even as they stand in our description, are nothing short, perhaps, of logical proofs of design, yet it must not be forgotten that, in every part of anatomy, description is a poor substitute for inspection. It is well said by an able anatomist, and said in reference to the very part of the subject which we have been treating of, imperfecta haec musculorum descriptio, non minus arida est legentibus, quam inspectantibus furet jucunda erundum preparatio. Elegantissima enim mechanicis artificia creberime in illis obvia, verbis nonisi obscure exprimuntur carnium autum ductu tendinum colore, insertionum proportione et troclearium distributione oculus exposita omnem superant admirationem. End of section 9